0: Welcome back to the Undertow Podcast. This is the podcast dedicated to the crime comics of Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips. This is Robert Watson here, flying solo this evening. Yes, that's right. I um, find myself sitting in the bar alone this evening, but I'm happy to be here, happy to be talking uh, criminal number two. We wanted to uh, you know, get an episode out before uh, number three drops. Uh, issue number three is set to come out next Wednesday, March 20th. So I wanted to. Uh, Jump online here quickly and get my thoughts down on uh, criminal number two. Uh, Bubba and I's schedules didn't align this particular month, but I know he's going to be back next month and he can kind of wrap up his thoughts on these both of these issues, which uh, comprise um, a two issue arc. As always, you can find our episodes at Undertow.podbean.com. You can find us also on iTunes. You can reach out at Undertow Podcast on Twitter. Or shoot us an email, undertowpodcast at gmail.com. We'll be happy to hear from you. Um, I'm going to start things off. I'll just do a brief kind of news update. Um, first off, big thanks to uh, WMQ Comics and Matthew Laserwitz. Uh, he is at MattLaz1013 on Twitter. I want to give a thanks to WMQ Comics for um, doing an interview with me recently about the podcast. You can check that out. Um, at wmqcomics.com. I want to thank Matt for that. He's a comics writer and editor there on that site. And then I also wanted to give a quick shout out to faithful undertow listener Kevin Sells, uh, whose letter was actually featured in the back of Criminal Number Two. So nice work, Kevin. Um, we we were happy to see that, as uh, we know Kevin's a big fan and, and keeps us posted on uh, lots of things in the world of Brew and Phillips. So that was a that was a cool thing to see when I picked up issue number two. Also, Killer Be Killed, the deluxe edition, um, is set to be released in November. I believe Sean Phillips tweeted out that it will be released on November 13th, and it looks like Amazon currently has it listed as coming out on November 19th, so somewhere in that range. And uh, the deluxe edition will be a hardback and contains the entire Killer Be Killed story, as well as the behind the scenes extras and artwork. So look for that uh, later in the fall. Uh, Amazon, I just looked quickly, describes Killer Be Killed as Catcher in the Rye meets Death Wish in a dark take on the vigilante genre that became a cracked reflection of the world around us. So, of course, we, uh, we dove in here at The Undertow into each and every issue of Killer Be Killed. And you can find that, uh, on our site. Obviously, we have episodes that correspond with, with each issue of Killer Be Killed. So, look for that, um, in November, also wanted to give a quick update. I know on the last episode we talked about My Heroes Have Always Been Junkies winning the 2018 Gem Award for an original graphic novel. And uh, I believe the press release that we read threw out the number of 10,000 copies sold. And anyway, since that uh, since we recorded that episode, we, we got some more accurate numbers for that. Um, we now know that the number is more like 25,000 sold. So a big discrepancy there. I'm not sure why those online numbers were so inaccurate, but it seems like the number is actually closer to uh, 25,000 copies sold. So uh, just kind of a brief update on that since there was such a big discrepancy. And then the biggest piece of news that I wanted to touch on that just happened in the last couple of days, um, a lengthy Ed Brubaker interview um, just popped up on the Word Balloon podcast. And you should definitely check this out if you haven't already. Um, Once again, Kevin Sells, the the, the listener that we mentioned earlier reached out and let me know when this thing went live, and um, I quickly dove in, and, uh, yeah, it's well worth, your, well worth your time. It's a very extensive interview. Um, you can find that, I'm sure, where, where all major podcasts are posted. Um, and it looks like the, uh, the Word Balloon site itself is wordballoon.blogspot.com, and it is uh, billed as the one-on-one interview podcast featuring the stars and creators of geek culture, and I believe Ed has been on this program um, several times before, but it's been several years. They mentioned that in the interview that um, it had been, you know, five years or so. It had been quite a while since he had been interviewed. And there's just, you know, tons of great insight behind the scenes uh, with uh, Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips comic, comics. And then also uh, Ed's work recently in television as part of, a, you know, some high-profile television writing gigs that he's been um, featured on, so he dives into all of that. Um, he also mentions that Ricky Lawless will play a big part in issue number three, um, and I think maybe he's assuming that the the issue will be out before the podcast. But it looks like the the podcast, you know, actually did predate the release date of the comic by a few days. Uh, mentions that issue four is a Ricky Lawless story from the '90s, um, so we know that's on the horizon with the, on the criminal front. And then uh, another interesting feature, he, he mentions that issues 5 to 12 are a long arc called The Summer of 88, not to be confused with The Summer of 69, and they're all about the death of Teague Lawless told from different people's perspectives. So that gives us you know, a pretty good idea of where we're headed um, with this monthly criminal book. Um, obviously not a, a very nuanced look, but we kind of know that overarching how, those, how that's going to break down over the next year or so. And then dropped in the little tidbit that there will be a secret comic announcement coming in the next few months as well. Um, Brubaker is working with one of his favorite comic artists. Um, he he described it as a young adult book for adults, or an R-rated version of a young adult book, and an artist that he's never done a long collaboration with. So I'm excited to to see who that might be. When they when they first started talking about the project, I I thought it could potentially be Steve Epting, until he dropped in that little that little uh caveat that it was an artist that he's never done a long collaboration with so it looks like we'll be hearing about another Brubaker comic you know in the coming weeks outside of this monthly criminal book um so definitely stay tuned on that front and then uh you also get a really great Alan Moore story from Brubaker and I won't spoil that you should definitely check out the interview but there's a lengthy Alan Moore story and again it's like a two-hour interview and just uh tons and tons of behind-the-scenes information. Um, it's a very forthcoming interview, so check that out, uh, the Word Balloon podcast. It's a it's a great listen. So anyway, I will go ahead and dive into um, kind of the real purpose behind this episode, which is uh, criminal number two. Kind of wanted to break down that issue, like I said, before uh, number three comes out, which will be the second part of this story. So obviously there will be spoilers from this point on, so for sure, read number two before listening again, and and uh, yeah, we hope to have Bubba back next month, and he can kind of break down his thoughts on both of these issues um, once we have kind of the complete story, or at least what we're going to get between number two and number three. And the setting for this book is uh, July 1997. So so this is a you know a new storyline. It does not continue with the events from issue number one. Um, we see a younger Jacob Kurtz, which of course is the character from the Bad Night arc of Criminal, um, which we have mentioned several times on this podcast. He's the central character in in the Bad Night arc, and he's shown up as a minor character in a few other arcs of Criminal. Um, But anyway, this is a younger version of Jacob Kurtz. And uh, artist Hal Crane is coming to a comic convention. It's called Comic Fest and needs someone to be what they call his minder for a few days. So he needs somebody to kind of chaperone him, essentially, um, while he's at this convention. And so we find out through the narration that right after high school, Jacob had worked as one of Hal's assistants, um, and he mentions that this was about 10 years ago, so around 1987. So that gives you a pretty good idea of, you know, Jacob's age at this stage in the game in July 1997. And there's an interesting approach to this story um, by Brubaker. Uh, He mentions several people who I'm assuming are fictional characters, but he also you know, mentions many real life people from the comics world. So we're talking about, you know, the characters are going to a comic fest and there's several, there's mentions throughout the whole issue of well-known people from the history of comics. You know, people like Jerry Conway, Joe Kubert, Will Eisner, Stan Lee. So these people are mixed in through this story. Um, And there's a, you know, kind of another interesting thing that jumped out at me was kind of this riff on the fact that people that are famous in the comics world certainly aren't necessarily famous to the general public. And, uh, you know, that kind of rang true to me because, you know, obviously uh, in my world, these, you know, these these comic writers, and uh, I'm sure in a lot of our listeners' worlds, you know, these comic writers and artists that we follow for years and years and years and different projects, I mean, they are famous to us, but, um, you know, you take a writer or artist who could, you know, win every award in the comics industry and be extremely successful for decades, but if they, you know, helped in some minute minute way on a TV show or movie, that will forever be mentioned, you know, in any article about them, way more than maybe their 30-year career in comics. So, of course, those worlds, those industries are just, you know, on such a broader, bigger, global scale. So interesting, They, they you know, they kind of mention that a few times throughout of this book. They kind of play with that notion. And we find out that Hal Crane um, is... You know, but kind of famous and well-known from this cartoon from the late 60s that he worked on called Danny Dagger and the Fantasticals. Um, so Hal was the design and storyboard artist. And uh, this, this cartoon, according to the comic, became a pop culture sensation from after-school reruns in the 70s, um, which also put me in mind, you know, it kind of reminded me of the genesis of, of Star Trek, the original series you know that that got canceled after I think what are there three seasons I think of the original series it got canceled it was just kind of a minor cult hit and then you know later on kind of became the the pop culture behemoth that it became you know through syndication and conventions and kind of that you know just a non-traditional um way of building hype around the show and became kind of this thing that this cultural phenomenon and so from this this character Danny Dagger in the Fantasticals we have uh, Danny Dagger, Princess Yaz, Tanner, and a pet dragon Stuffy. So these were the the main characters in the cartoon. Um, and Sean Phillips does a does a nice rendition of you know the the cast of characters here with a kind of a title sequence um, that definitely looks of the era and fits with you know a cartoon from that era. But anyway, you know Jacob is is shocked you know to get this phone call that says. Hey, you know, Hal Crane requested you to chaperone him through this convention, you know, because he, he acts like they didn't part on the best terms, um, but he does admit to being, you know, his number one fan. So we see, you know, Hal Crane artwork on his wall at home, you know, autographed artwork. So he does agree to help out and meets up with Hal at the, at the comics convention. Um, and then it, through Jacob's narration, we get a synopsis of the state of the comics industry in 1997 he mentions it was in a death spiral publishers going bankrupt distributors imploding shops closing and then there's a there's a killer line right then where he says true fans will always go down with the ship it's one of their best and worst qualities i thought that was a great line and of course they're you know they're they're talking about the fact that you know the the press and the industry is just in disarray uh around the comics industry yet this convention is packed with people who are passionate fans they're dressed up in costume um and so that was kind of an interesting era for the comics industry, and obviously, uh, Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips would be well familiar with this area as they were, you know, both professionals at that time um, and working in the industry. And Jacob mentions that the other reason that you know people might know who Hal is, other than the famous cartoon that he was involved with, um, is that he was the other person in the car with Archie Lewis when he crashed in 1955. Um, And he calls this one of comics' most famous deaths. And so people, I guess, have debated whether, you know, this was actually an accident or if it was a suicide. And Hal has never talked about it since that time, but he was just a a young man um, working under Archie Lewis, this famous artist, and ends up in the car with him and walks away from it unhurt, but Archie Lewis dies. And so this is this kind of big dramatic event that has shaped... um, that has shaped Hal Crane's life ever since this time and, and Hal doesn't talk about it. And yeah, similar to many of the previous, you know, criminal arcs and Killer Be Killed, you know, Sean Phillips gets to explore the uh, comics within a comic idea, you know, through the cartoon stills and then Archie Lewis's comics, which are, are called Star King. So they've incorporated, you know, there's a few panels from each of these, the cartoon and Archie Lewis's comic, that are kind of that fall within the comic and of course have a a noticeably different art style to convey that they're, you know, from a different work. And we've seen that, like I said, again and again in, you know, Bad Night, Last of the Innocent, Killer Be Killed, that's a kind of a recurring thing that they utilize, and you know, for my money, it's always very effective. And in the couple of flashback scenes that happen in this issue, there's a a subtle shift in the color palette. Um, I noticed the colors are more bleached out and muted than in the present day scene, so um you don't even necessarily notice it when reading it, but you you know you instantly when you look at those panels you you understand that um it's a flashback scene and it's not the present day nineteen ninety seven so anyway hal uh you know wants to kind of blow off this this convention so you know Jacob gets there meets up with him um but Hal immediately wants to skip his panel that he's supposed to be featured on and leave the convention and Hal and Jacob end up in a bar meeting someone else. Um, This is an art dealer named Dick, art dealer in quotation marks. And uh, Hal's plan kind of begins to come into focus at this point in this bar. So his plan involves selling counterfeited animation cells autographed by Hal. And it made me wonder, you know, if if Ed and Sean have ever had to deal, or had to deal directly with, you know, these skeevy art dealer types that they call them, um, like the ones in the story. You know, I wonder how widespread that is in the industry. I don't really have an answer to that, but... Um, I'm curious if they've ever had to deal with that with any kind of counterfeit products out there with their name on them. And Dick, this uh this so called art dealer, mentions uh to Hal that Princess Yaz from Hal's Cartoon is a pretty big deal right now with the new show coming. And uh, Hal's in the dark about this, hasn't heard a word about any new show and is obviously frustrated at, you know, the these parties out there making money off his off his work, essentially, and he doesn't even know about it. So there's some, there's definitely some pent-up frustration there um, that's pretty apparent throughout the whole issue. And so Frank Harmony um, is this character. We find out he's the co-founder of the animation studio that put out Danny Dagger, and the guy who essentially got rich from the show. And kind of to add insult to injury, he is set to present Hal an award at the convention. But again, Hal wants to blow this all off. Um... You know and then it, it kind of circles back to Jacob and he mentions to Hal that he's not really working in comics right now because he's taken over his dad's business um, and you know if you think back to earlier criminal arcs, you know his dad's uh, occupation was obviously a criminal, so that's an interesting that's an interesting tidbit that's dropped in there at this point and then they circle back to that at the end um, and things kind of escalate at this point Hal um, confronts this uh this other character named Rook. Uh, in the bathroom at the convention. Rook is another comic artist. Um, I think he's described as nobody's favorite comic artist, just kind of a run-of-the-mill, fill-in artist. Um, But anyway, Hal confronts him in the bathroom at the convention and pulls a gun on him. Hal thought Rook had ripped off some original artwork from his house, but Rook says it was someone named Lucinda, and Hal mentions that it it must have happened last year when he was sick. Um, So again, this frustration at... Other people profiting off his work keeps coming back. Uh, Rook retaliates by accusing Hal of stealing other people's artwork um, back in the day. And Jacob mentions that that's kind of of followed Hal around his whole life, that he's been kind of accused of this himself, of stealing other people's artwork. So Hal got a bad rep as an art thief in the 70s when um, some famous artist pages went missing and started showing up on the collector's market. So again, this is a, a recurring theme. Um, of all of these various characters that are kind of converging at this convention. And then just a quick note on the colors, there's a, you know, check out those pages where um, Jacob is driving Hal and speeding away from the convention after the altercation in the bathroom. There's some there's some cool effects there with the colors in um, the moving car. So check out that page. I thought that was nice work by uh, Jacob Phillips. At this point in the book, we find out that this Lucinda character um, is actually Hal's daughter. Uh, and it's interesting to note that he greets her in a, quite a strange way for a father-daughter relationship by saying, hey, baby. Um, so the two obviously have a very complicated relationship, and you can tell it immediately just in the way they're talking to each other. Um, they're not super comfortable with each other. There's obviously some tension there from you know previous events. And uh, Lucinda pretty much immediately admits to selling Hal's artwork to pay off her mortgage. And Hal wants to know who she sold the artwork to. And on the last page, you know, things kind of all come together, and Jacob starts to understand why Hal asked him specifically to be his driver. Um, Hal knows that Jacob's dad was a thief, and he says, I'm hoping you know someone who likes to break into rich people's houses because I need you to help me rob someone. Um, And then we get a to-be-continued message. So that's kind of how this issue comes to a close. Um, so a lot of setup in this issue, you know, and it it seems like the real events, the crime itself is coming all in the next issue of criminal, um, as this story is set to continue in criminal number three again out next Wednesday. And so, yeah, overall, I thought you know it wasn't necessarily a a super riveting ending this time around, um but still an enjoyable comic sets up the next issue nicely. Um, and then, you know, I, I felt like the, the commentary on the comics industry, I was interested in that for sure, um, but I do feel like sometimes that takes me out of the story. I, I kind of have mixed feelings about um, you know these real-life references showing up in comics, and not just in Criminal, but in other books as well. Um, it's kind of an interesting thing because obviously they're, they're mimicking the real world, um, but it almost takes me out of the world slightly when I'm reading about real events. So it was an interesting mix of that. And Brubaker you know, clearly states in the, in the back matter of issue number two that the story isn't meant to be an expose of the comics industry. Um, and he mentions that in the second part of the story, um, we'll see some familiar faces. So it sounds like some other characters will be popping up outside of just who was introduced in number two. And I, I, I took, kind of took a quick glance at some of the reviews on the web um, of issue number two. Um, And they seem to be pretty, you know, universally very well reviewed. It got a, the the issue got a 9.2 critic rating on comic book roundup. They said, it's a fun and surprisingly light chapter and what looks like is going to be a dark and twisty story. Um, And that was uh, a comicbook.com gave it a four out of five rating. Um, And yeah, I think that that's an apt description. It was a relatively light issue. Um, You know, when we're talking about Brubaker and Phillips, of course, that's, Light for Brubaker and Phillips is not necessarily light for anybody else, but it was fairly light, but I don't think next issue will be. Um, Monkeys Fighting Robots, you know, gave Sean Phillips some some great praise, and they gave the overall issue a five-star rating, but they were particularly complimentary of Sean Phillips. Here's what they said. Uh, Sean Phillips has always been a brilliant comic book artist. When he works with Brubaker, it's magic. He is the modern master of crime, noir, comic book art, period. His line work and layouts are clean and elegant, yet sufficiently seedy and grimy, too. It also echoes the classic art of EC Comics' crime books. But something about the coloring of Jacob Phillips has really opened up and loosened the artist up. Jacob Phillips' colors skew almost to the surreal, bathing figure in hues and colors that sometimes even fall outside the line. There is also a texture to his palette that makes the pages and images pop and flow and pulls you in. It's fucking mesmerizing and hypnotic. It's great. Um, So yeah, high praise for Jacob and Sean Phillips. Um, Multiversity Comics said, It is interesting and somewhat refreshing to go back to a time not that long ago when the business was in real danger of evaporating, or at the very least becoming something much different. It is an extremely enjoyable read, even if it is told through the bitter and cynical filters that are Jacob and Hal. Both characters feel scorned by their past lives as comic book artists who are at very different places in their careers. And Multiversity uh, praised Brubaker by saying, if you are not immediately sucked into this story, you aren't paying attention. His ability to create a story that feels both true to life and carries a darker crime plot that most people will never find themselves in is astounding, a damn good story that is simple in plot and ingenious in execution. Um, and yeah, that execution, I'm anxious to see how that all comes together, um, because the pieces are there. The, you know They're laying them out in, in this issue number two, and uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing them come together in issue number three. So yeah, that's uh, criminal number two. I um, wanted to take some time and just kind of record a quick episode and break down my thoughts on the issue as we look forward to uh, number three. And again, I encourage you to check out Ed Brubaker on the Word Balloon podcast, and Um, Yeah, look forward to to next month talking about number three and getting Bubba's thoughts on both of these issues as well. Um, And in the meantime, please check out our our previous episodes uh, at undertow.podbean.com or on iTunes. Shoot us an email, undertowpodcast at gmail.com or reach out on Twitter at undertowpodcast. Uh, Again, this is uh, Robert Watson. Um, this is episode number 30 of the Undertow podcast, which, you know, 30 episodes I feel pretty good about. I'm happy to bring this to you every month uh, to uh, the fans of Brubaker and Phillips and all of their various projects. And yeah, we look forward to uh, talking more Brubaker and Phillips in the future, but appreciate you uh, jumping on board this evening, and we will see you next time around. I'm drunk in the street Hey my look at me. I'm so grown up and alone But I never claim to be a grown man And possess such wings